Welcome to the Friends with Money podcast, brought to you by Money Magazine, creating financial freedom for Australians since 1999. There are many myths surrounding ESG investing. One of the main ones is, do investors sacrifice returns for investing in environmental, socially responsible and good governance investing? Today, I have Fidelity's Director of Sustainable Investing, Daniela Jaramillo. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Julia. Daniela, can we start, please, with an explanation of the definition of ESG? Uh, it's a term, you know, that we often use, but it's not necessarily widely understood. Yes, yeah, sure. And, and maybe I'll start by saying that it's a term I don't particularly like because it tries to separate environmental social and governance issues, which are by nature very interlinked. Uh, But when we're talking about this, we're talking about uh, risks and opportunities that companies might face that are either of an environmental nature, social nature, or governance nature. Uh, Sometimes they might be both. Sometimes they and this might might play against each other. Um, but, But that's usually what we're referring to. Thank you. So one of the myths that we've often heard is that ESG investing means that we need to sacrifice returns for doing good. Is that correct? I think that um, this has been something that traditionally uh, uh, people have thought of. Um, and I think the best way of, of, of talking about this uh, myth is if you think about companies that are managing or risks, you're thinking of companies that will perform better in the longer term. So the more risks and the better you are at managing risks, you are likely to not be caught up in situations where the where you, that might impact your profitability. So we see companies uh, that are good at managing for environmental social governance risks as companies that, that are really good quality. Um, and I think that that's kind of the way we should frame it. Um, Just to give you an example, uh, companies that have invested a lot in their um, balance and in in life work balance of of their employees are the ones that are less likely to suffer from issues like the great resignation. We're seeing now that 30% of of, uh, employees are thinking about resigning and thus that plus um, COVID restricting uh, new employees is really a concern for companies that might be losing uh, those those uh, that workforce, but companies that have invested in the past and have cared more about that social aspect, that work-life balance, that many companies might have seen it as an extra cost, are actually going to see some of those benefits because they have more engaged and happy um, employees, and they're less likely to suffer from um, stuff like the great resignation. And then on the other hand, the other issue that's important to consider is companies that um, are good at managing for this risk are also able to identify opportunities. So companies that early on started talking about zero packaging and, and no plastics, even before any, any, any legislations or, or regulation might come into place, they have now been able to um, see some of those benefits by uh, because there is a market for that, because we see that um, young consumers and uh, not only millennials, but even younger consumers are really interested in that. And so they're able to, and they might switch brands because they're looking for something that um, is, that is, is, is more environmentally friendly. Beyond being better at managing risks and beyond being better at, at managing opportunities, we do need to recognize that 
in the short term, companies might experience uh, a decrease in returns. I mean, if, if you're trying to transition, for example, a large oil and gas company into the low carbon economy, that's going to require capital expenditure in the short term so that the company is able to survive in the longer term and is able to continue existing in a lower carbon economy. So I think we also need to be mindful of timeframes and how that might impact, and it might impact uh, returns in the shorter term while companies are trying to do that transition, especially when we're talking about um, companies that are trying to pivot business models in order to continue existing. But that doesn't mean that we um, that we need to stop investing in them. We need those companies in the low carbon economy. And I think being a, a, being a sustainable investor means remaining invested, continue engaging with those companies and think about them in the longer term. So Daniela, a big part of ESG investing and ESG funds is based on the scores. And what are all these about and can we trust them? Are they across the board? Does everyone measure in the same way? Look, I think this is one of the biggest challenges that people in my industry currently have. ESG scores are basically us trying to put very complex issues and problems like social inequality and climate change into one number. So we're trying to fit it into financial models, all this complexity that is not only about a company, but it's also what surrounds that company. So you can see how it's very difficult to do, to put it in a score from, I don't know, one to 10 or A, B, C, D, uh, to capture all these nuance. And so this is um, one of the biggest challenges of our industry. There are specialist providers that are doing this. Fund managers like Fidelity have their own scores as well as other managers. And we've been relying and talking about them as if it's like a fact and everyone uses the same and they're absolutely comparable. More recently, people have started raising questions and saying, how can you have one provider that says one thing and the other one that says the opposite? Which one should I believe? And I think that, first of all, we need to understand the level of the challenge that, that's here and that they're not going to be perfect and they all depend what you're trying to measure. Um, and that sometimes, and, and perhaps it's good taking a step back and, and thinking, what have these scores been better at measuring? So, for example, things that are a bit more quantitative, so, for example, greenhouse gas emissions, something a company can easily measure, or, or um, for example, the number of fines they've gotten for environmental reasons, things that you can put a dollar number and you can easily kind of somehow fit into a financial model. But things like the impact in uh, mental health of adolescents because of Instagram posts, not even even if Instagram wanted to measure that, like they're finding it difficult to really put it um, to put a number behind it, then they'll have to disclose it. And then we as investors, we need to make sense of it and put it in the score. So I think the main thing that we need to understand from this is that there are limitations to the thing we measure, and there are limitations to how we integrate them in, in our scores. Having said all that. It is something that is evolving. And we as investors are trying not to only measure for risks, but also of the, of the impacts that companies have in society and the environment. And so that is slowly coming in. Um, some investors are using AI to capture some of this data. And, and we present at Fidelity, what we're doing is we have an analyst that tried to make sense of that data and tried to put it all up 
and a framework. But I think we do need to recognize when we're talking about ESG, it's not as simple. It sounds very complex. And we've just had the recent example of Facebook and the losses that they've faced and, and so on. And I guess, you know, maybe they're unforeseen. Maybe there are people who are seeing that that's a possibility, but I guess average investors aren't really understanding it so much. So are you finding that ESG is becoming a serious concern for fund managers and super funds because investors are calling for it? I think ESG has always been a concern from a very, from a risk perspective. So as we said at the start, it does give you a sense of the quality of a company. And so investors have been looking at ESG risks to the extent that they've seen it as a directly short-term material impact. So if a company was going to receive a massive fine because of environmental reasons, that's something investors would have been looking at not only in the last five years, but maybe 10 years ago or 15 years ago, depending on who they are. I think where it's really becoming much more focused is the concept of investing with impact. And it's a little bit different from impact investing that um, you and, and, and some of your listeners might have heard about. So when we're talking about impact investment, we're talking about specific asset class that has specific impact objectives. Investing with impact is a little bit more about what is the added value that a fund manager or a super fund is bringing beyond the money. And so how is anything that they're doing besides giving uh, money to a company through equity or, or, or debt, how are they adding value and contributing and, and making a positive impact. And I think this is what you're referring to. This is where super funds and fund managers are really trying to demonstrate how can I prove or, or how can I increase my impact through the things I do, either where it is how I report it or, or what activities am I doing. And can you give an example of a company that's doing well in this area? All companies have positive impact, right? If you're generating jobs, you're having a positive impact in the economy. Um, it's hard necessarily just at thematic companies that are, for example, in the renewable space and the renewable energy space, people immediately think of them as like, oh, they are helping us transition to a lower carbon economy. Therefore, they're having that positive impact in the economy. Um, on the social side, you might find that companies that are providing microfinancing or um, social infrastructure, as some people call it, so anything that has to do in healthcare um, or biotech companies are providing that additional uh, positive impact through not only job creation, as most companies do, but also through the products that they uh, generate. Uh, so that's an example of companies that would be generating that positive impact. So how should people look at the ESG investing? Is it more a long-term and, you know, you need to balance it with your other investment choices? And how can people compare funds? Look, I think the first thing uh, for investors is to figure out what is it that they, what are their objectives? So is their objective to say, like, I see a great opportunity um, in, in, in climate change and investments that are green? So um, if that's the objective, then the main way of doing it is looking for thematic funds. Um, so if you believe that, for example, the expansion of the middle class is going to lead to a broader set of, uh, of consumers and therefore um, you're going to see a 
more resource scarcity and you're, you're interested in kind of uh, sustainable food, then you might want to go with an ETF on a super fund that provides uh, climate solutions. So I think that if that's the objective, the objective is more taking advantage and making money from this um, ESG trends. On the other hand, if what the, the investor is trying to do is actually generate a positive impact with their money, I think that the best way of doing it is not just necessarily by looking at the product they're investing in, but actually looking at the entity. So are those investors investing with impact? Are they generating and adding value? So it's less important what's in the portfolio and what companies you're invested in, and more as to do they have a, a well-resourced team that is actually talking to companies, uh, engaging with the larger miners in reducing their, their environmental footprint, um, in improving the way they relate to, to communities around them. So if the objective is generating a positive impact, I would say look less at the exclusions, look less as to what's in the portfolio and focus more as to who is investing the money. Do they care? Do they have the resources? Are they doing public policy advocacy that are kind of generating that added value beyond just giving money to the company? How can people make the best of their investment choice, even if they're in a super fund who maybe are not focusing their default funds on ESG issues? Look, I think, again, it comes back to looking at who their super fund is. Is that a super fund that generally has an interest in, in the financial futures of the members beyond the retirement balance? Uh, and, and, and you would see that here in Australia, you see many, many of the super funds are taking really strong stances and, and they have particular things they care about. So you see some super funds that are really focused in women issues, uh, other ones that are most focused in, in workers' issues, um, and, and other ones that are very focused on the environmental. And so choosing, it, you don't have to choose a sustainable option. It's about choosing those uh, investment managers, ETF providers, and super funds that have this strong um, advocacy and engagement with companies to, to generate. So you don't have to be in a fund that's only green to generate that positive impact. And I guess with a lot of super funds, they've got a lot of money, so they have a lot of voice to, with the companies to achieve what they want to achieve. Finally, Daniela, how do you make investment choices at Fidelity? So a Fidelity is a bottom-up investor, which means that we're not invested by default in the whole um, index. We, are, uh, we look at individual companies. We look at what the companies are about, what are their products and services. We look at what are their operations like um, and, and, and make a decision based on that very bottom-up, so looking at what the company is, as opposed to other investors that might say, I invest across the whole index or I invest across all the ASX. At Fidelity, our portfolio managers might only invest in a small portion of companies that they uh, believe in because they've looked at in detail at what they do, what their plans are, what their strategies, what their sustainability is like, um, and they have good relationships with those companies so that we're able to engage and ensure that their um, sustainability uh, practices and strategies are also aligned with our um, beliefs. We rely on a set of highly capable, very global network of, of analysts um, that are helping inform investors' decision makings. And portfolio managers would look at uh, and have access not to, um, for example, if, if 
if um, you have a portfolio manager here based in Australia that's looking um, at Australian stocks, that portfolio manager will also have access to a lot of information of what's happening globally. So I think that that's very particular about how Fidelity looks at things. Um, and from a sustainable investment perspective, we have a team of 30 people uh, that's only looking at sustainability related themes and we are advising the business and advising uh, the analysts and creating frameworks that help the analysts become better at capturing this whole social and environmental picture of a company. So our, our portfolio managers would look at this um, and we'll look at, um, we have our own proprietary, we talked before about ESG scores, we have our own proprietary ESG scores that is evolving and changing all the time. This is the type of thing a portfolio manager would look like before making an investment decisions. Um, and, and, and so at the end of the day, you are have this uh, global network of um, analysts that give you information of everything, whether you're looking at a, I don't know, a cement company or you're, you're looking at a um, healthcare technology provider, you, you, we are able to leverage from that broader um, analyst uh, base at, at a global level. So that's a little bit of how Fidelity um, thinks and, and, and one of the ways Fidelity invests in a sustainable way. Thank you so much for joining me today. That's been a really informative discussion. And I especially like the way that you put it into perspective about, you know, companies that are doing the right thing with their employees are going to retain them during the great resignation. So thank you very much. Thank you, Julia. Thanks for listening to the Friends With Money podcast. For credible, independent and easy to understand financial commentary, visit moneymag.com.au. Please remember that the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are general in nature and further independent advice and research based on your personal circumstances should be sought before making an investment decision.